What's up, guys? Welcome to Roaring Podcast, where we interview experts in tech and product management, providing insights and tips on how to digitize and automate your business processes. My name is Jesper Kask, and I'm your host. In this episode, we welcome Björn Simonsson to discuss design leadership and cross-functional teams. Currently working at 71 Consulting, Björn has vast experience from companies like iSettle, Creona and Voy, working with design leadership and operations, as well as product development. Let's dive right in. Okay, so welcome Björn Simonsson. Uh, it's great to have you on our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, really excited about this one. Um, just to get us started, tell us a bit about yourself and what you love the most about product development. Uh, so I'm, uh, my background is in UX. Uh, I, uh, I studied UX at university and I've been working in UX most of the time since then, uh, which is like 15 years now in the industry. Uh, I um, I have sort of, I don't know, cheated with being a product manager as well for a few years, uh, <laughs> uh, mostly because I was a bit like I was at an agency. I was a little bit fed up with being too late in the decision-making process. So I wanted to like, well, if I if I'm a PM, I can I can make the good decisions, so we can build good stuff. Um, and I think that's that's basically what for me what product development is about is what building things that makes the world better. Uh, uh, in essence, and of course that can be big or small, big things or small things. Uh, but yeah, in in I think that's the core of it for me. And, and my UX background is I guess is is helping me. Uh, do that maybe to a bigger degree since I, I enjoy the like meeting people and understanding their problems. I think that's the that's the essence of of making the world better that you know what the problems are. Mm. And and having worked at successful companies like iSettle and and now as a consultant at Voy, have you been able to identify sort of common denominators in terms of product design and and uh, things like that that are making these companies successful? I think I have a few different uh, trends uh, that that are like yeah, like you said, the common denominator. Uh, I think first of all, it's good people. Uh, without that, it's like there's no way you're gonna be successful. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean people who have like the fancy degree or a super long CV or anything like that. It's more about having being passionate and being uh, like open to to trying things and just having an open mindset uh, in general. And then I think, so that's on the individual level. Uh, then I think as a company, uh, there has to be a willingness to to change things. Uh, Jakob de Jär once said on one of our Christmas parties, uh, the founder of, of iSettle, that the only constant thing here is change. Uh, and I, that really stuck with me. And I think it's uh, it's really something that that I, I believe to be true. Uh, and that I've seen in these companies that you know, you, well, this doesn't work. We change. We learn from other companies. Where, uh, which brings me to actually to the next thing, which is curiosity. Uh, to be curious or at what, how could we do things better? What are they doing over there that we can learn from? Um, so I think that's that's uh, just one thing. And um, and then also I think uh, one key thing is cross functionality to have. Uh, like tech and product and design and you know depending on the business you need to maybe have legal or finance if that's a big thing of your in the industry that you're in but having those work together as closely as possible and and create that sort of a good tension between like 
what's feasible, what's viable. Um, and, and yeah, just having those people come together, uh, the creators really. Mm. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because cr- cross-functionality and cross-functional teams are, and op- optimizing them are sort of uh, one of your bigger passions, I assume. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Definitely. And what, what, is, what is key when setting up a, a cross-functional team? Um, I guess it depends on a little bit where you are uh, coming from. Uh, if this is uh, like if you come from maybe a project type workplace or or something else, then I think it's it's very key to be transparent around why you want to move uh, into this way of working and be cross-functional, uh, what you hope to achieve by doing that. Uh, and then it's about setting expectations on that squad or or the squads maybe if you do a bigger change um, to create sort of a clear ownership of of your part of the UX, having ownership of the technical systems. Uh, that are in the background. Uh, and then, of course, you need like OKRs or KPIs to to let the sort of squad know what uh, what they will be measured against and what, what sort of the business. I mean, in most cases, it is a business and you have to be realistic about how, how to make money. Uh, so having that as a, as, a, as a base as well, so everyone understands what we're trying to do. Mm. And then I think it's also important not to sort of Swoop, do the swoop and poop uh, uh, from a manager perspective, and just like this is what we're gonna do, this is what your team is, and then and then leave and leave them to it. But actually iterate, uh, explain the situation, and listen to the people in the team or that will be in the team, and and listen to their ideas and their suggestions, and sort of shape and and not be afraid to to sort of go backwards on maybe your own ideas of how things should be, uh, because usually the team knows best. And in practice, when uh, assuming that you start a new role at a company and you get this assignment that uh, uh, that requires you to set up this sort of cross-functional team, uh, is there a framework that you use, or or how do you go about doing that? I haven't used any sort of uh, real like existing frameworks. It's more more been sort of a, a try as we go approach. Uh, mm. Of course, I like like inspired and empowered and. Uh, and like sense and respond to those books uh, and that's a huge inspiration to me but I mean they they leave it quite superficial in, in exactly how you do it uh, it's more of a the principles that you follow and then I think each situation is unique in that sense mm. uh, and uh, what are the biggest challenges when doing this um, the biggest challenges I think is um, it's not so much in my opinion in the team uh, it's more about, like you, we talked about how to set it up. I think that's super important and that managers uh, are uh, sort of allow the team to do their thing. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot about how you manage the team and let them sort of uh, be innovative uh, in a way uh, on their own uh, and sort of tell them what you want from them, what the outcomes that you expect uh, and let them run with that. Um, but then also, I think it's 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 like sometimes you fail on the easy things, like such as role descriptions, where you like if this is a new thing and it's not really established, uh, maybe people come in with different incentives into the team. Um, at at Settle, we had a bit of a problem early on when we switched from sort of project-based work to to cross-functional teams, where a lot of PMs came in and was like, "Yeah, but I'll, I'm I'm in charge of this team because that's what the the product leaders thought." 
Uh, and we hadn't aligned across design and tech and product leadership around how we wanted this to work. We thought we had, but we forgot the details. So, so the teams, and then in the teams, we, we had like, but they don't get along, right? What's happening? And it turns out, yeah, they had different incentives on their role in the team. So, so you need to do sort of the, the background job or the preparation work to make sure that the people that join these kind of cross-functional squads have aligned uh, role descriptions and, and expectations on what this work will do in each person's part in that. Mm. And how much is it a is it a cultural thing? Because you mentioned sort of the open mindset and uh, giving the team the freedom. Uh, I guess a lot of companies struggle with sort of it's easy in 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 theory to to I assume to uh, to put the, put that out there like yeah we're going to have cross functional teams it's going to work perfectly fine. Uh, we're going to allow freedom to this team. We're going to uh, make sure they have the tools and resources. And then you sort of uh, struggle trying to implement that in a good way. Is culture sort of the big part in this as well? Or Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's a lot about leadership uh, and, and the, what the culture is in the leadership levels. Um, mm. I once went to a, like a leadership course and, and the teacher that said, it's, if it's a problem somewhere, it's 90% of the time, it's the leader's fault. Um, and this was to a group of, of up and coming leaders. So it's a big responsibility. And, and I think if you go from a project-based way of working, it's, uh, or a structure, there are probably people who will lose some influence, or at least they had the feeling of, of a loss of influence and they will probably try to defend that. Uh, maybe not like, consciously but subconsciously like you, you want to to have your uh, i'm not going to say privilege because they maybe they worked hard for that but like you have some kind of influence in the organization and and seeing this change you might be afraid to lose that so again i think a lot of it comes into preparation uh, preparing like the leadership area and, and, and how you plan work uh, is uh I think maybe underrated and you think like, yeah, but it's the teams that that's where it will happen and it will, but many of the problems will be in the leadership uh, levels because they're not prepared to, to change their way of working or, or let go of their influence in a way. Mm. And, and in the cases where you've found yourself um, in sort of as a leader or, or part of this team uh, as in a cross-functional team um, where everything works smoothly and, and, and everyone is happy, what does that enable in terms of product development in a company? Uh, I think much more efficiency in a way in, into, and, and ideally also um, like innovation because these teams will, given the right circumstances, uh, and not always, of course, sometimes they will fail quite spectacularly, which is part of the equation. Uh, but if they're successful, they, they the innovation, like the height of innovation can be very high uh, because they they iterate quickly and they like designers and techies sit together. It's like, yeah, we want the users want this. And then they're like, yeah, but I've seen this new framework or we can use machine learning here or like we can solve that big problem that we thought was a big thing. And then we can focus on on the next step. So you can have these like leaps of of innovation that really change things up. So I think that when it's working well, that's what you see, um, like solving very hard problems in unexpected ways. Mm. And silos and waterfalls in, in these sort of teams are 
probably more common than, than people might think. Um, can you avoid it? And if so, how? I definitely think you. I've seen so many teams working like in in, in harmony, really, uh, mm. and, and, and being a unit. But there are a few things that I, I think you need to be mindful of uh, to get there. And I think the one is is to have the right incentives. Uh, coming back to this, like uh, having not having one person thinking that one person is in charge or anything. Um, so having that sort of the whole background set up so that so we don't have sort of company conflicts. Uh, in, in, what do you say? Like inherited into the teams, um, uh, because then the, the clash will happen there, and it will, they will be at a standstill basically. So that's one thing. Um, and then I think it's like the classical team building, going through like the forming and storming, norming, hopefully performing phase uh, to get and give them the time. If, if this is a newly functioned or, or uh, established squad, to give them the time to actually go through this and not having expectations like from day one, they're going to be the most innovative team ever. Uh, so they need to get to know each other. And I think here, maybe an agile coach at least access to an agile coach is uh, could be a great thing to help the team uh, get to know each other and just facilitate uh, these sessions that are needed. Um, and then, of course, like a clear rationale why they exist, and and giving them some realistic outcomes to work towards. So they they have that ownership uh, and sense of um, yeah sense of ownership of the technical system, sense of ownership over part of the UX or or. Maybe if it's a small company, the whole UX. Uh, so they they feel that they own that and, and, and can work towards improving it. Mm. Do you have any sort of success or failure stories uh, from <laughs> from working in, in these kind of teams? Um, I think we both, of course. Uh, we we was like I mentioned, we went from a at Settle, we went from a, a sort of product-based ways of working. To a more, uh, and we tried to set up four different squads uh, that would have some ownership. Um, and the first attempt was a huge fail. Uh, we thought we had a good idea. We didn't iterate, uh, uh, but we sort of had this idea. Let's do this, and we presented it to to everyone involved, and they were like, "What? What do you do? This? We don't understand, and we don't. We haven't been involved." So they, there was a lot of resistance. Uh, so we decided to take a step back, uh, and then. Just rethought it, and when we, we we created three different options on how we could do it, and then we presented that to the team, uh, and they or or the whole um, like all the people that were supposed to make up these four teams, um, and they, then they had a lots of input, and we had to sort of figure out the technical systems, who would own what, and there were lots of pros and cons, um, and in the end, we actually also did a self-selection. Once we sort of decided, like, this is the team structure we'll have, this team will do this, this team will do this. Um, and then people selected themselves into these teams. Uh, of course, we had different slots. Uh, we didn't have all the backenders in one team. Uh, so we had like three slots for backenders here, two designers in this team, and then people self selected. And that was a huge success. Uh, so that, I think that was a big turnaround to get people engaged because they went from this kind of resistance into like, right, I can understand why we chose this uh, like way of doing it because I was part of the discussion and now I can select into the part of it that I'm most engaged with. Uh, and then that worked brilliantly for years until we sort of outgrew that uh, way of working. A few years later, we decided to start a new uh, sort of business unit where, uh, which was called ISAT Advance. Um, uh, and the idea was to lend money to 
to the customers that we had based on what we knew about their income through our card terminals. Um, um, so that was sort of a way to, to give them easy access to capital where banks probably wouldn't be interested uh, because it was maybe like you need 20,000 to buy a new fridge because the fridge in your cafe just broke down on a Friday and you need, you need money like that. Uh, so those kind of small amounts from a banking perspective uh, that they're not interested in lending, we could do that in an automated way. So we set up, that was the idea. Uh, and then we set up a cross-functional team uh, with developers, designers, uh, lots of finance people, of course, risk people, because there was a credit risk involved, legal product. And they like, this is what we need. We need to prove this product uh, as soon as possible and get some customers on a platform. Uh, and they took off. Uh, and we helped them sort of with, with expectation management and, and having an agile coach and all that. Uh, and they took off and it was a huge success. Um, of course, it wasn't like smooth sailing all the way, but I would say overall, it was very quick from idea to, to our first uh, customers on that platform. So how do, you, how do you ensure a team has the freedom to create innovative solutions? Uh, for me, I think it, it's a lot of what we already talked about, of course. Uh, but first of all, I would like to say it's about um, like tech depth and UX rot are two big things here. Uh, if you want to be innovative, you have to have like a baseline of, of working stuff so you don't drown in your own depth. And that's, you know, that's classic tech depth stuff. And there's the same for UX, basically, although maybe not so. So many are familiar with that. It's, it's usually called UX rot, where you just add stuff to the menus until no one understands where to go at all. Uh, so that's one thing to keep the team successful long-term, uh, which sort of breeds uh, innovation. And then I think uh, I've talked a little bit about that as well, the rationale, but I think it, in this case, to be innovative, you have to, to give the team a really, really good backdrop on what they're doing or why they're doing it. Uh, and that could be like trends in the market, help them see that. That could be what the competition is doing, uh, sort of give them some like competition. Uh, and then they can build on that on top of that, of course, with their own research, but give them something uh, like strength and weaknesses of our own organization uh, that can help the team decide what to do and how to overcome those weaknesses, perhaps. Um, and then, of course, customer needs and expectations from them. Uh, and try to package all that into like a, a nice narrative that the team can really get engaged around. Uh, I think that's, that's really key to get them going. Uh, and of course, psychological safety. Maybe I should have said that first because it's, <laughs> it's so, such a huge thing. Uh, but they need to feel that they can fail um, and that's fine uh, as long as they you know, learn from it and they, uh, they don't pretend everything's going well until the day before release. That's not a good failure. Uh, but you know, if, if a good leader, you have different bets, then you expect people, some teams to fail, uh, especially if they have like bigger bets that are moonshots basically. So I think those three things, uh, having like a solid platform uh, that they can build up on, knowing uh, why they're doing things uh, and have that background and then the psychological safety to dare to be creative I think are three big big things that are are key to to have successful teams. Yeah, we had uh, Noelia Almanza in a previous episode talking about innovation and how innovation, the mindset to innovation, or the uh, how innovation is viewed in companies, needs to be shift needs to shift towards more of a um, 
failure is, is learnings sort of view. Um, and you mentioned sort of bad failures and good failures. Could you elaborate on that? Like bad failures are not, uh, you know, like the late stuff, like I mentioned, the day before release. Uh, that's a bad failure. Um, and doing the same thing, failing again in the same way that you did before is also a bad fail. Uh, a good fail is uh, trying something very innovative, uh, trying to make it work. It's based on, on good insights, but then maybe eventually you realize it's, uh, it's maybe it's too hard to, to package up uh, in a way that, that is useful or use, useful or usable. Useful, again, is a, is a worse way of doing it. Usability can always be a problem. It just becomes too complex. Even if there's a need, people aren't prepared to go through this to, to, to get the, the benefits. Uh, so that can be a, but it's really hard to know before you start if something can be packaged well or not. And if we were to leave the listeners with sort of a final summary or thought on your end in terms of how to build a cross-functional team and how to set it up, but also how to lead and manage it, um, what would you leave them with? Uh, I would leave them with this, that you need to get out of their hair. You need to give them the best possible uh, uh, opportunities to do this, but then get out of the way and don't let your own ego stand in the way of, of them making decisions. So if you were in a position to make decisions, be prepared to give them up. Uh, have Give them the psychological safety, support them in, in as many ways as you can, and make sure that they come into the team prepared to collaborate. Uh, so they have the, those, those incentives to, to get to know each other and to collaborate. That's awesome. Uh, anything else you want to leave? Any closing thoughts? It's fun. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, it, to me at least. I've had so much fun in, in these teams and leading these kind of teams. Uh, it creates a, a very specific buzz when you have these uh, teams and, and they are on a roll. Uh, it's amazing to see and, and to be part of. Uh, so enjoy the journey if, if you start it. Awesome. That's great. Uh, thank you so much, Bjorn, for joining us. It was really great having you on. And I hope to see you soon again. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to an episode of a Roaring Podcast by Roaring.io. Feel free to share it with your friend, colleague, or peer if you liked it. If you wish to stay connected to us, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Bye.